Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who think differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for going on nearly 15 years now. Today, I'm joined by a guest, Paul Smith. Paul, how are you doing today? You know, I think I'm nursing a cold like you are, so uh, <laughs> probably not my best day, but I'm looking forward to this conversation with you. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you're trying to get back to health. And listeners, I'm going to apologize right up front for my voice today. The middle of February as we're recording this, and that's cold season. So I'm just coming off the tail end of one, and the voice is still in recovery. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for joining us, Paul, today. And our listeners, I'm sure, are going to benefit from your expertise, which is really kind of a unique idea that we haven't really talked about here at Wealth Tactic Rebels, and that's storytelling. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic thing. It's not necessarily like storytelling for your kids that we're talking about, but we're talking about storytelling that has to do with you and your life and your profession and in your relationships. Stories are great ways to convey ideas and get messages across clearly in ways that people can relate to and understand. So I think that it's a really important thing. I've seen this in my life. Paul, I'm sure you can comment a lot more on that. Yes. So are you interested in, in knowing why storytelling is important and why it works? Is that a question I hear in there? So yeah, we're going to get there. But before we jump into that, if you wouldn't mind, Paul, Paul is an author and speaker. He does this as a living. You know, He left a corporate job, but I'm not going to go back into his details. Paul, would you mind sharing with our Wealth Tactic Rebels a little bit about where you came from and what inspired you to do what you do today? Yes. So my background is first 20 some odd years of it. It's pretty typical corporate career path. I mean, I studied economics in undergrad. I got an MBA. I spent a couple of years as a consultant. I then spent 20 years working at the Procter & Gamble company Yeah. In, in various different leadership jobs and finance and accounting actually at first, and then in consumer research and Right. My last job there was the uh, director of consumer research for about a $6 billion global business unit. Like I said, all kind of typical corporate career stuff. But along the way, I just got fascinated with this concept of storytelling. And I just recognized that the people, the leaders that I admired the most were just really good at it. And, right. and that frustrated me because they didn't teach me that in business school. Right? Right. They didn't teach me that when I joined P&G or Accenture or whatever. So I set out to kind of learn about it myself by interviewing a bunch of leaders. And I think at this point, I've, I've interviewed probably 300 or so CEOs, executive leaders, in hundreds of companies in 25 countries around the world. And that's, of course, allowed me to reverse engineer my way into what works and what doesn't with storytelling. And that, of course, sure. also led to writing books that I write on the topic. And so that's what led to a complete career change for me. And now that's what I do. I research and write about storytelling at home and at work. And I spend my time teaching people how to do that. Excellent. That's great. And I like hearing those kinds of stories, <laughs> pun intended there. It's amazing to me when people find something, something intrigues them in their life, and they dive into it, and it becomes a passion of theirs, and then it takes them on a whole new life path. I like hearing that, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. So I'm glad that happened for you. But let's go into the storytelling part of this and why storytelling? What's really in it? What does it do for our listeners, and why should they care about this? Yeah, so there are probably a lot of reasons, but the most important one, I think, a couple of them. One is that human beings don't make the rational, logical decisions that we'd like to think that we do. You know, a lot of the cognitive science that's been done in the last couple of decades tells us that, that human beings oftentimes make subconscious 
emotional decisions in one place in the brain, and then they rationalize those decisions a few nanoseconds later in a more conscious, rational thinking part of the brain. So we leave a decision-making process thinking that we've made these wonderful, rational, logical decisions. But the truth is our reptilian brain decided a few nanoseconds earlier what to do, and the rest of our brain is just trying to catch up with that decision. So... (laughs) And it just turns out that the way we speak to people most of the time only speaks to their conscious thinking, rational part of the brain. Right. But storytelling allows you to talk to both parts of the brain. You need both. You you can't just talk to the subconscious part of the brain, but most of our work dialogue only speaks to one part of the brain and storytelling allows you to talk to both. So if you want to influence what people think and feel and do, in other words, leadership or sales or marketing or just influencing, being influential. Right. You need to speak to both parts of the brain. But stories are also, they're a lot more memorable. They make the things that you say more memorable. Yeah, it's true. They humanize it for people. They can add context that just telling them what to think and do doesn't. So there are a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Storytelling is a more effective way to communicate when it's added to the conversation than if you don't have it. Yeah, I can understand that. It's like a, a good movie good movie tells a great story and you remember that. And then it's something that stays with you. You remember those really good stories. And I think just thinking about that a little bit, the brain, somebody, I remember years ago, for some expert somewhere, I had learned that they were saying that the brain thinks in pictures. And when you tell a story, a person gets a picture of what's happening in their mind. And maybe that's, you're the expert. I mean, you could tell me, but I'm just thinking maybe that's one of the reasons why it sticks with people. It makes it more relatable. It is. I assume sometime in the next 20 minutes, I'll be sharing a story or two with you. And as I'm telling it, you and your listeners will be able to see the movie of the story I'm telling playing out kind of in your mind's eye. Yeah. Yeah. When you're just telling people what to do or what to think or bossing them around, there's no movie to watch in their mind's eye. So yes, that's definitely one of the reasons why it's more effective. Mm. Yeah, I guess I I agree with that. So storytelling, how do you use it? I think it could be used similarly, but probably differently if people use it in work versus their personal lives, right? In relationships and such. Because I think it applies to both personally. But would you say is there a difference or? I think I agree with you. It's, it's useful at home and at work. The main difference is simply what type of stories you're telling and, mm. and what your objective is in telling them. The way you tell them, by the way, is largely the same. I mean, stories follow a similar pattern. Okay. There's a similar, you know, there's an right. emotionally engaging moment. There's usually a surprise ending in, in good stories. There's a similar structure they follow. So okay. technically they're fairly similar, but the stories you tell and the objective of telling them is different. At work, right. you're trying to do things like get people to see and understand your vision or, or you're trying to lead change or you're trying to get people to work together more collaboratively or you're trying to help them be better problem solvers or you're right. trying to accomplish some leadership objective. At home, you might be trying to parent your kids and teach them what kind of character traits you think that they should have as a young adult (laughs) to be honest and hardworking. And you're trying to teach life lessons. Right. Or you might just be trying to create a better relationship with your spouse. I mean, so there are all kinds of reasons to use storytelling at home and at work. Just those are different purposes though. Right, right. So really it's storytelling has kind of a structure to it. And it's just, you just fill in the blanks with different ideas or different points to achieve whatever your objective is for that story. Yeah. And in fact, what you just described, I mean, it's not quite as simple as fill in the blank, but it gets close. Like the, there's something called a story spine that I I use to teach people about the structure of a story. And it's kind of like, here are the sentences that if you fill in the blanks, a story will emerge in the right order, Uh you know? So that might sound something like, Gosh, you know, I think the best example of that I've ever seen was back whenever at whatever place there was this 
person and he or she was trying to accomplish this. And so they did this and then the bad guy did this and then they did this and then the bad guy did that. And eventually what turned out was this. And what I learned from that was this. And that's why what I think you should do is that. So all those blank spots where I just made up, you know, nothing (laughs) put in the, what actually happened, that's kind of how it would flow. It would flow from a hook to get you interested in a story. And at the beginning you heard where and when it happened and who the main character was and what problem they ran into and Yep. what they did about it and how it turned out in the end and what lesson you learned from it and a recommendation mm. on what to go do next. You know, th- mm. Those are basically the steps of a well-told story, either mm. at work or at home. Okay. You mind if we dive in a little bit into the structure, the steps, as you put it, yeah. of a well-told told story? Yeah. So those are eight things. So here are the eight questions that your story needs to answer. And if you answer them in this order, what will come out of your mouth will sound similar to what I just kind of rattled off for you. So right. first of all, why should I bother listening to the story? All right, uh-huh. That should be the first yeah. question that you answer. And you need to answer that in the first 10 or 15 seconds or your audience might not listen to your story. They might just kind of walk away, right? So right. that's the first question. So Why that, should I bother listening to the story? That'd be like what the marketing people say is the hook or you mentioned earlier the hook, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. the hook, all right? So once you've answered the hook, you've earned the right to answer the next five questions. So here are those next five questions. Where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? Right. What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Hmm. Hmm. That should sound like the flow of a natural flow of a story because it is the natural flow of a story. But if you're keeping track, that's only six. So there's two more. Right. What did you learn from that story? And what do you think I should go do now? That's your opportunity to make a recommendation. Uh, So if you answer those eight questions in that order, what will emerge is a story in the natural order that a story would flow, of course, ending with the lesson and recommended action. So that's the structure of a, I think a well-told story at work or at home would follow that general pattern. Right. Right. Okay. So pretty much our listeners want to practice this. They can take this down and do like a mad libs and kind of start <laughs> uh, start telling a story, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, storytelling is an art form. So sure. sure. I mean, I'm trying to turn it into as much of a science as I can, but it's still an art form. So, you know, a lot of science is though. Yeah. Can you go off script a little bit with this and still have a great story? Of course. You know, this yeah, is just a yeah. safe place to start, but the order does matter. So for example, right. uh, that question number three, number two, where and when did it take place? That communicates to the audience that this is a true story. Right. If I told you a story and right at the beginning, I told you that, well, you know, two summers ago at my house here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then I told you a story about that, your natural assumption would be, oh, well, this is a true story, right? Right. Because I've told you exactly where and when it happened, right? Right, right. But if I tell you once upon a time in a land far away, well, now you know that it's a made up story. <laughs> right, I still right. answer the question. But what if I don't answer the question at all? What if I don't tell you where, when at all? Right. And the truth is, you don't know if it's a true story or if it's something I'm just making up. And so humans want to know that information up front. Right. They want to know if they're listening to a true story or a piece of fiction. And if you don't let them know up front, then while you're telling the story, their brain is still stuck on, wait a minute. Yeah. Did this really happen? Wait, yeah, is this true? Yeah, yeah. Right. So they're not paying attention to what you're saying. It's hard for them saying. to focus. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not paying attention to what you're saying because the brain needed question number two answered way up at the top. Right. And also like question number six is how did it turn out in the end? That belongs at the end, right? If you're given a presentation or a speech or you're writing a recommendation, you put the end at the beginning, right? I recommend this. Right. And now I'm going to give you all the reasons why I recommend this, right? So storytelling is the opposite. The end goes at the end. Yeah, right? yeah. If you give away the end at the beginning, it ruins the story, right? It's like the spoiler alert that you didn't get a little yeah. bit of Yeah, because right? they're like, oh, I can already guess how that happened. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> yeah. So the order really does matter. And these are the eight questions I think the story has to answer, and they need to be answered roughly in this order mm-hmm. if you're going to have the most effective story. Okay. Good. Good to know. Good to know. So you recently wrote the book, The Ten Stories Great Leaders Tell, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you've written several other books. You're, you're you're pretty heavy into the author thing at this point. But this particular book has a good meaning to it, right? As far as storytelling. So why did you write this book, 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell? Yeah. So in my previous books, I think I had three books out before that. I think I covered 70 different types of stories that oh, wow. people should be telling at home and at work. So right. Lead with a Story was my first book on leadership storytelling. And Parenting with a Story was a book on stories that parents would use to teach their kids character lessons. And Sell with a Story is a, a book for sales and marketing people. And, and so there are 70 different types of stories. And wow. I have to admit, that's a lot of stories. That's and pretty overwhelming. 250 yeah. examples. Right. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And I admit that. And so I finally, I just had enough people challenge me with like, okay, Paul, what are the most important ones? Surely some of these are more important than others, right? And that's right. a fair question. So I finally just had an opportunity with a publisher to write a very short book that literally that you can read in one hour that focuses on the 10 most important stories that I think any leader needs to be able to tell at a moment's notice. In fact, now that we've teased your audience, I should probably tell them what they are. Yeah, I think it's a good time. Yeah, let's go there. Yeah, you'll get complaints if we don't tell them that. That's right. Yeah, because you already hooked them. So (laughs) here's the spoiler. I'm going to spoil the whole book for you. I'm going to tell you all 10 right now. So the first four kind of go together because they're about setting direction for the organization. So here they are. Where we came from. So that's a founding story. Right. Why we can't stay there. So that's a case for change story. Mm -hmm. Where we're going, which is a vision story. And how we're going to get there which is a strategy story. So if you can tell those four stories, you're much more likely to get your audience to your, your employees to go where you want them to go, right? Right, right. All right so the, the next four kind of go together as well, but they're more about who we are as an organization. So that's what we believe. So that's a, a corporate value story. Right. Who we serve. So that's a customer story, a story about your customer so that everybody can understand on a personal human level, what your customer wants and needs. Right. What we do for our customers. So that's a classical sales story, a story about what you do that's so awesome that people should pay you money to do it. Right. 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 And number eight is how we're different from our competitors. So I call that a marketing story because marketing is about differentiating yourself from your competition. Absolutely. Branding. Yes. So imagine if you can tell those four stories, you can easily articulate who you are, what you do, who you do it for, and how you're different from your competitors. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's eight, right? So we have two more. Yep. And the last two are a little bit more personal to you as the leader. Why I lead the way I do. So that's a personal leadership philosophy story. Right. And why you should want to work here. So that's, so the, you, the person you're talking to, right? Not you, but right, right, right. So that's a recruiting story because every leader's job is to bring in talented people to the organization and get them to stay and follow your leadership. Right. So that's my list of 10. So I, I think if you're looking for a place to start with storytelling at work for leaders, those are the first 10 stories you need to be able to tell. Now I think yeah. there are a lot of others, but that's right. the place to start. Right. I know you're saying that these are for leaders in business, but they're for leaders in a family or a group of friends too. Some of these, I could see how that same kind of story, you know, this is where our family came from. This is who we are. This is where we're going with our family. This is why you want to be the way you are. You know, similar kind of thing. I could see that anyway. I don't know. You're the expert, but. I think you're right. In fact, that's why I wrote my second book, Parenting with a Story, was because while I was writing Lead with a Story, people kept telling me, hey, gosh, you know, I think I can use that story at home with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I just heard that often enough that I thought, you know, 
I should probably write a book just for that purpose. But yes, there is a lot of similarities between leading people at work and parenting children at home, right? In both cases, you're kind of the boss. You care about their growth and development. You're yeah. somehow responsible for them. So yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, right. Or organizations too. If you're a member of some sort of organization, like a club of some sort, again, same kind of stories. I think that's great. That's all important. I think they can really set a good precedence. You know, if a company has no direction, if a family has no direction, a club or group has no direction, they don't know why the reasons, they're just going to fall apart eventually. Right. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I can see how that's important. You know, like some people might think, oh, storytelling, I can use stories to get my way, but that's not what I'm getting at here. I mean, sure, yeah, people can use it to kind of, like you say, get your employees to do the jobs you want them to do, but it's not manipulation. That's just the way that- That's leadership. It's leadership. Yeah, there you go. So- you know what? I think the next thing we need to do is we've been talking about the structure of some stories and the books and why, but I think it's time to tell one or two stories, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, so this is not just an academic exercise. Exactly. Here. Besides, I'm sure our listeners are ready for that at this point. And they're like, come on, get to the point. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, so, well, let me pick a couple from that list of 10 or one or two of them. So, number eight is a good one, which is the how we're different from our competitors mm-hmm. story. So, that's the marketing story. Sure. I think everybody that works at a company needs to be able to tell one good story about how you're better than your competitors, right? Right. So that, right. Whether you're in sales or marketing or any other place in the company. So the example that I use here is comes from a guy named Sherrod Madison, who's the CEO of United Building Maintenance. So that's a commercial cleaning company. Okay. Those are the folks that come in and clean your offices at night. Yeah, yeah. And so when he's talking to a prospective client, he's usually got a sales manager with him and they probably have a sales pitch they're going through. But at some point, he usually finds an opportunity to tell them about what he does when he gets a new client. He says, we know there's always a 30-day transition period between when we sign the contract and when you know my company takes over. He said, so what I always do in that 30 days is I go in, I sneak into the building in the middle of the night to watch how they're cleaning it now. And it's probably not as nefarious as I just made it sound because he gets permission to do this. But right, I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, what he says is, you know, most of those employees are contract employees and he's basically going to inherit them at the end of the month. So he just wants to know if they're well-trained and well-equipped to do their job, right? So right, right. he said, so, you know, we took over the Verizon building last month. And so I hear at two o'clock in the morning, you know, I went in and I found this guy vacuuming the carpets and he's using the same kind of like residential quality vacuum cleaner that I use at home. He said, the problem is, you know, first of all, that thing's not going to do a very good job. And I said, and you got to know those corridors are 12 feet wide and wow. it's a half mile around. Wow. I mean, it's going to take the guy a month just to vacuum the carpets once, right? <laughs> said, and plus it's going to break down every yeah. couple of weeks just need for that kind of you know, volume. He said, so when we took over, we put him into a triple wide, you know, industrial grade vacuum cleaner that'll do a much better job in a fraction of the time. Plus, you know, that thing will last forever. Right. So, so then I went to another floor and I see this guy shampoo artist and he says kind of the same story. You know, the, he's using the same kind of residential quality walk behind squeeze bottle shampooer that I use at home. And he said, yeah, same problem with this. It's not going to work very well. It's going to take forever. He said, so when we took over, we put him into one of those, you know, commercial grade riding shampooers, you know, that really does a great job. And he said, uh, so right. not only does it do a better job and a faster job, but it gets the guy off his feet, right? He's sitting on this thing yep. now. Pushy seat. So, which means I have fewer workman's compensation issues, which means my client has fewer workman's comp issues, right? Right. right. Said, but the last thing I wanted to do, I wanted to check and see how they were dusting the cabinets and stuff. So, I went to the offices and I looked on top of all the cabinets and I saw the same thing on top of all of them. He said there was a half of a moon swiped out on top, a little curved moon. Right. He said, right. I know exactly what that means. And you probably do too. He said, those cabinets are all five and a half feet tall. That's standard height in the US for you know, office cabinets. He said, most of the people, many of the people, 
cleaning those cabinets are less than five and a half feet tall. Right. They're not being lazy. They're just literally not tall enough to reach the back of a five and a half foot tall, three foot deep file cabinet to right. clean it all. And that's what leaves that half moon swiped out on top. That's right. just as far as they can reach, right? Right, right. He said, the truth is they'd be better off not cleaning it at all because it's the contrast between the dusty part and the clean part that makes it obvious to the eye that it's not been cleaned properly. Right. He said, so when we took over, I just gave them all these little 18-inch plastic extension wands for their dust cloth so they could reach the back, right? Yeah. Problem solved. Right, right. So here he tells that short little two-minute story, and the person he's talking to can easily see in their mind's eye. Remember we talked about that movie? Right, the movie in the eye, yeah. Yeah, so while I'm telling you that story, while he's telling that story, what you and your listeners and, and the person he's selling to are seeing in their mind's eye is they're seeing that guy riding around on that shampooer like the Zamboni driver at the escalator. <laughs> Right? Yeah, that's right. They're seeing somebody easily reach the back of the cabinets with their dust cloths, yeah. that extension one. Now, he could just go in there and say, look, there are three reasons why I'm better than my competitors. We use triple-wide commercial-grade vacuum cleaners. We use commercial-grade riding shampooers, and I give all my dusters 18-inch extension ones, and that's why we're better. Okay? Okay, big That deal. would be yeah. true. Yeah, Those it's are true. the exact same three reasons. But It's true, but it's ho-hum, right? But yeah, the exactly. story... Now you can see it. You understand what a difference it makes. The story does such a better job of communicating it than simply the list of three reasons. Right. Absolutely. And you can see that all. You can see it happen. You can see now in your mind, him going there, seeing these people caring about what's happening and coming up with good solutions. Now you understand him and how he works and why. And it fills in so much more. You're right. Right. Great. Yeah. We got time for one more? Sure. Let's do another one. All right, let's do number nine. This is a fun one. Uh, so, so this is the leadership story. Uh, well, in specific, it's a leadership philosophy story. Why right. I lead the way I do. Right. So the example I use there is a guy named Mike Figliolo, who was a West Point guy. So uh, his first leadership opportunity was in the Army. Yeah. And in fact, his first leadership challenge was he's just in a training exercise out in California, probably 25 years ago. I think it was sure. Camp Pendleton. Anyway, so he's assigned to lead a platoon of tanks. Mm-hmm. And he's got two or three tanks that he's in charge of, but one that he's going to sit in himself. And they've got this training exercise where they're on a 10 mile long, five mile wide training battlefield. Right. And they've got 400 tanks on one side and 400 tanks on the other. And they're going to go into training battle against each other. Right, now, they're right, not right. going to shoot live ordinances because you know they don't want to get anybody to get hurt, but they're right. real tanks. So it's basically a giant game of laser tag with real tanks. So they've got lasers <laughs> mounted on them instead of bullets. <laughs> don't tell my son about it. He'll and want to so join. he happens to be a son. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? That's, what a huge, awesome game of laser tag. Right. So for whatever reason, he happened to be assigned to be in charge of the first tank on his side of the field that's going to go into battle in wedge formation mm-hmm. out of 400 tanks. So there's going to be 399 tanks behind him. So it's important that he goes the right direction, right? Because everybody's following him. So yep. he sits down the night before with the commanding officer and they go through the map of the terrain and come up with a battle plan to get the high ground and have the best chance of winning the exercise. So the next morning it starts and he's in his tank and they take off and they're you know heading out across this field. Well, he gets to the first place where he's got to make a decision to turn left or right, and he just doesn't know what to do. Right. Apparently, looking at a battlefield through the crack in the hatch, you know, bouncing (laughs) around at 40 miles an hour just looks different than it does in a map in the conference room, right? So (laughs) go figure. (laughs) uh, He's got a decision to make. So he can either stop the tank, turn the light on, get the map out and figure out the right thing to do, or he can just guess. Right. Mike chose option two. He yells out, driver, turn left. 
like in his most authoritative commanding voice, even though he has no idea if that's the right decision. Or not. <laughs> right, right. So right. the driver turns left. Okay. About two or three minutes later, the light inside their tank goes on, which means you got shot by a laser. You're dead. <laughs> so <laughs> bad decision. So, you know, he's got to stop the tank, pop the hatch. Those guys get out. They're done for the day. All right. Well, of course, a few seconds later, tank number two turns left right behind them. They get shot. They're done for the day. Tank number three turns left. Their light goes off. Okay. They're done for the day. But Tank number four, the folks in tank number four saw three tanks turn left and get virtually shot and killed. Right. They realized that was a mistake. So tank number four turned right. And then 396 other tanks turned right. They took the high ground and they won the exercise. Right. right? Now, so Mike made a mistake that day. He turned left instead of right. He should have turned right. Right, right. What he learned from that experience was that sometimes in life, in work, in war, it's better to make the wrong decision quickly than to make the right decision slowly. Mm. Because if he had waited, imagine if he had taken the 30 seconds to get the map out. There'd have been 400 tanks lined up, standing still, sitting ducks, getting picked off one at a time. Right. Right. Because in life and in war and in business, when you make a mistake, normally life will let you know pretty quickly that you made a mistake. Right. right? It will become apparent that that was a mistake and you can monitor and adjust. And so instead of getting trapped in the analysis paralysis that we often do in the business world, where we'll spend months analyzing our options, sometimes it's better to just pick one, just pick one. and see if it works out. Yeah. Right. If it doesn't, then do the other thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. he tells that story now to people to help them understand the kind of leader that he is. Because today, he's a more decisive leader than most people are. He makes quick decisions. Yeah. And he expects other people to do that as well. But he's more forgiving of them when they make a mistake as long as they learn from it. And so that's right. an example of a story to help communicate your leadership style and your expectations of leadership of other people mm -hmm. far better than just saying, oh, well, I'm a decisive leader. Yeah, so what? So am I, you know? I make decisions. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. The story's just better at it. Yeah, I agree. Now you can understand the entire emotion, the reasonings, the place that he comes from how he would treat his employees, all that comes into much better perspective. It's like that idea of Absolutely. You know, a picture says a thousand words, you know, like just portrays so much more. So I love it. Do you have any tips that you could share with the Wealthetic Rebel listeners that would help them craft a well-told story? Oh, so this isn't the value bomb you always ask your folks for. Is that, or is that coming later? Yeah, you're right. I'm going to be asking for value bomb. You're a step ahead of me. I've, I've been listening to your stuff. You always ask for that. <laughs> there you go. I got waiting for this. I don't want to give it to you too soon. <laughs> so we've already talked about structure of a story. So that's important. We've yep. also talked about what stories to tell, which by the way, that's the most important. Right. What story you tell is far more important than how you tell. So the most important thing is tell the most important stories. And so that list of 10 I gave you earlier, right. those are the most important stories to tell. Once you've chosen a story to tell, then having the right structure is definitely important. But a couple of other things that you'll want stories to have for them to be really effective is two things. Some emotional engagement, right? Stories need to engage people emotionally. And secondly, a surprise. So right. believe it or not, a surprise ending in a story is not just good in Hollywood or in novels that you read. They make your business, personal leadership stories more effective because they make the stories more memorable. Mm. So you need to craft into your stories a way to create the right emotional engagement with your listener and to create something unexpected mm. in the path of the story somehow to make it a more interesting story. And there, there, when I teach people this, there are techniques to accomplish a lot mm. of these. Right. Know that those are two things that you're going to want to have in your stories as right. well. Would you suggest people... You know, like they were preparing for an exam, you know, before you, you study. So would you suggest people kind of study ahead of time, maybe make a chart with the steps and then start trying to construct stories to get good at it so that maybe they're a little bit better at constructing them on the fly at some point? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So storytelling is just like any other aspect of business. If you want to be better at marketing, you'd study marketing. If you want to be better at finance or accounting, you'd study those things. Right. Yeah. So when you're crafting a speech, you probably write your words down or at least write down an outline. Right. Stories should be the same. You should definitely think through your stories ahead of time, at least outline them. You don't have to memorize them word for word, but you should think through and craft them just like people do a memo. If you're going to write a memo to your boss, do you just like write a bunch of stuff down, like just whatever comes to mind first, and you don't even think through it or edit it, just like free writing or something? Right. Of course not. Oh. Right? You think through it. Right. So you treat stories with the same degree of seriousness that you treat other forms of communication, and they'll be better. Yep. Sounds good. So, now we'll get to the value bomb. <laughs> All right. So now, the value bomb. This is the Wealthentic Rebel value bomb. So in your experience, Paul, something our listeners could look to avoid, and then what could they do about it? Yeah. So one of the biggest mistakes I see in storytelling at work is people announcing that they're going to tell a story. Uh, no, they'll say things like, oh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but can I just tell a quick story? I promise it'll just take a minute. In that one sentence, they're doing several things wrong. First of all, they're announcing that they're going to tell a story. Unless you're dealing with kindergartners, like nobody wants to be told, gather round, boys and girls, it's story time, right? That's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not right. going to help. That makes people roll their eyes to be told you're going to tell them a story. Just, you might as well bring marshmallows out while you're but at notice it. All, right, right. <laughs> notice also in that sentence, you've apologized right. and asked permission to tell mm. the story. And I'll just ask you this question. What do you think that communicates to other people in the room about how important you think that story is? Well, it's not that important, right? Of course it's not. Exactly. If it was important, you wouldn't be apologizing and asking permission to tell it, right? So yeah, here's the thing. Leaders don't ask permission to lead, right? right? They just lead. Never ask permission or apologize for telling a leadership story. Just tell it. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Besides, people sometimes have a short attention span. So I would assume that if you're sitting there explaining why you're going to tell them a story before you tell them a story, you've already lost them. <laughs> yeah. You just wasted a part of your time. Yeah. 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 Like, oh yeah, I'm going back to my work now. I don't want to hear a story. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure a lot of our listeners before today's discussion never really thought about how important stories are, even though everybody loves a good story. It's something we should all working on in our lives, especially people that are in a position of management or entrepreneurship or I don't know. I mean, unless you're a hermit, I think it's important. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If you're working with other human beings, it's important. If you don't ever work with other human beings, you probably don't need storytelling. Exactly. I don't know who that would be. <laughs> I don't know either. So Paul, again, thank you for your time today. And before we close out, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, just that if you want to learn more about storytelling, learn from somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, go buy a book, watch some videos, attend a training class. And that's what I spend my time doing. And I'll be happy to, you know, I can help you with all those things too. If you go to my website, which is leadwithastory.com, you can find links to all of those type of things that can help you be a better storyteller. Absolutely. And Paul, we're going to put your website and, you know, your social media and whatnot on our website as well. So that's wealthtacticrebels.com. And just look for, today's episode with Paul Smith on storytelling. And we'll have that in the show notes there. And Welted Rebels also, if you would mind going to our Facebook page and drop us a quick line, let us know what you found most valuable today out of Paul's storytelling <laughs> and what applies to you. And thank you for joining us today, Welted Rebel listeners. Paul, thank you for your knowledge and experience and your time. And hope you all have a fantastic day. Thanks for having me. Cheers. You're welcome. Take care.
Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth-accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticsRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. The information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.